Come on. How's everybody doing today? Good. We're going to be speaking on the subject. It's evangelism, and it's uh, called Contagious Christianity. And one of the things about this, the, the cool part, it shows us not how to use a programmatic method of evangelism, but how to use your relationships. So it takes the fear away and just has you becoming yourself, using what you do naturally in uh, promoting that uh, for the purposes of evangelism. But it's getting evangelistically minded. And uh, when I first got saved, that's one of the things that happened from day one. And that's one of the tricks during the 60s the communists would always use as far as recruiting people in the United States. They would get somebody to join the communist party and then they would just saturate them with information and saying, go teach somebody else. So when they're out there trying to give their propaganda to somebody else to turn to be a communist, they would inevitably face questions that they wouldn't be able to answer. They'd have to go back to the leaders, find out the answers, then go back and it brings them even in deeper. So that's the same way in Christianity. That's why Jesus took 12 and changed the world. But it, it, was, it was that they kept coming back. They had to study to show themselves approved, as the Bible said. Is workmen that can handle accurately the word of truth. And most of us with Christianity, we don't even understand what it means to be saved. Well, I'm saved. Saved from what? I'm following the Lord. I mean, people hear you talk that Christianese. And you know, they're like, following the Lord. Who, the landlord? What Lord? You know, just... <laughs> And they get other people because of ignorance or, or because of fear. They, they don't want to speak up. They don't want to be bold for Jesus. And, and a lot of times it is because if you don't know what you believe in, it's hard to express it. I get people come up to me after an evangelistic seminar and they're like, well, you know, Pastor Tom, my, my Christianity is kind of a private thing. And I'm like, yeah, so private Jesus doesn't even know about it. <laughs> You know, it says, let your light shine in such a way that men shall see your good works and give glory to God. Amen. When I first got saved, the zeal for the Lord, just that zeal brought so many people to the Lord. I, I couldn't believe it. And pastor, the first 12 people I led to the Lord, they were all cute blondes. So there, there was an anointing. Uh, so what that they didn't stick? You know, it just... <laughs> But you know what? Uh, the guy that was mentoring me, he came up and he said, listen, your ministry is not to keep blondes. So I went to brunettes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Y'all serious? Come on. But after that first experience, seeing all these people supposedly get saved, none of them stuck. And I said, I'm not going to disciple any flakes anymore. And I got very selective because I said, you know what, there's so many people hungry for God. I'm not going to waste my time on somebody that doesn't want to get right with God. There's too many hungry people out there. Amen. I go to campus ministers and, and start looking at what they were doing. And, and this guy was uh, so heavily overburdened. And I got 60 guys I'm following up. I got 60 disciples. I got 60 converts. And I start going through the list and following them around and seeing who he was talking to. And I'm like, how long have you been ministering to him? Well, he's almost saved. We've been going two years now. And I'm like, cut him loose. He's not serious. I can't do that. I poured so much in. You know what? Number one, it's the Lord that's pouring into him. And number two, there's so many hungry people out there. If he doesn't want it, I'm going to somebody else. 
It's not as my faith has anything to do for it. Yes, we water, we plant, we sow. But you know what? The great, I use my faith for a harvest. Lord, I want to be on the harvesting end. Send me to the ripe people. And God opens up the divine appointments, and it happens all the time. Get ready for the message yesterday. Just, you know, a friend calls up and says, we got a reunion for uh, my, my college, and, and, and can you come by? And I'm saying, well, I'm getting ready for this message, blah, blah, blah. But the, the thing that drew me, I went to a place called Maya in uh, Long Beach. It's a beautiful hotel overlooking the bay. It's, it's gorgeous. And I'm out there with all these former classmates. It's amazing the doors that opened up for, for witness. I didn't go so I can go to get a little fireball, a little shot of beer. I went so I could be a witness to those that are dead and dying. And it was amazing the doors that opened up. It's amazing how, how because they all heard, you know, they've gone into ministry and this and that, but then when they hear you speak, one of the guys just got engaged and he's like, can you do our wedding? Just wide open door to minister, and, 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 and it, it's just incredible. You start seeing a life of impact. But you got to start believing for these divine appointments and, and realizing God's mission was to seek and save the lost. And it says, as he is, so are we on this earth. How should we be to seek and save the lost? How many of us are doing it? We get so caught up in our worldly affairs. We get so caught up in our, our everyday activities and it just, it's like it doesn't make sense because this life is perishing like this. We get out on the power team and we used to do that thing and um, with ladies and gentlemen, we were the power team and we'd spray the fire extinguishers, just all that smoke effect. And, but the thing is amazing, I started thinking about that, squirting that fire extinguisher. <laughs> Life's like a vapor. And it's like, whew, big cloud of smoke and then it's gone. We did it one time at University of Washington. It's why I was a rookie and I really didn't know what I was doing, but uh, we wanted to break bricks lit on fire. And I had my big black brother, Donnell. He's huge. He's going to break bricks. I said, listen, you've got to break these bricks on fire because I'm going to Australia. And if I break my arm, I can't go. So if you break your arm, you go home and get healed. You know, just so I said, I'll, I'll hit you. Don't worry. I, we know how to do this. And we'll just hit the fire extinguisher if you catch on fire or anything. And so sure enough, he just wham, he hits the bricks. And, and we had the towels soaked with kerosene. We didn't realize you soaked the bricks first, then put the towel on top. So all the kerosene just goes right up his arm, his arm lights on fire. And I'm like, Danelle! And he turns around and I hit him with the fire extinguisher. <laughs> the only problem was it was a chemical fire extinguisher, not the CO2. His whole face went white, had little black rings around his eyes and his lips. And it just, and he's looking at me like, <laughs> it's like, I'm gonna kill you. But yeah, that's one of our mess ups. Anyhow, life's a vapor. And the only thing we're going to have to show when we stand before Jesus is the souls that we win, the lives that we impact. And again, it isn't about just winning souls. It's about being a faithful witness. Well, I went to Japan and we went out to evangelize on the campuses that were less than 1% Christian. I told the, to the students that about 20 of them came with us. I said, listen, I can give a flying rip if you lead anybody to the Lord. I'm not here to lead anybody to the Lord. And they're all like, and I said, we're going to go have some fun. I said, we're going to work from, from 8 to noon, then we're going to take off from noon to 6. Do whatever you want. But from 8 to 4, we're going to work. We're going to witness. Our job is to be obedient to the Lord and raise up the witness. 
His job is to convict concerning sin and bring in converts. It was amazing what we saw. I had Joe Onasai with me, second strongest man in the world, and we'd go into the cafeterias. These cafeterias were thousands of Japanese all at once, the biggest cafeterias I've ever seen. And we'd draw attention because Joe was second strongest man in the world. He had like 24-inch biceps. I mean, he was huge, 405 pounds. So we'd sit him at one of the lunch tables, and he'd start challenging the Japanese students who were pretty little most of the time, uh, arm wrestling. And all of a sudden, it was like he challenged one, no problem, two. We had it up to five Japanese against Joe, arm wrestling. It was the funniest thing you'd ever see. But, you know, as we start doing that, you win them to you, lead them to Jesus. The doors started opening up, and we started speaking the truth of life, and, and God made their hearts come alive. I remember we had a call with our, our ministry. They wanted to report how, how the ministry in Japan was doing. And the day before, Joe had a, had a former football teammate that was a champion sumo wrestler. His name was Kunishki. This guy was huge, 550 pounds. I saw him in a Visa commercial. He was doing a, a thing with a sushi bar where everybody's getting their sushi. He walks off with a sushi bar, you know, just, he's huge. So. We're over there, we're watching the sumos, they got those diapers on, and they just kind of, <laughs> you know, and, and it was amazing. He gave his life to Jesus. He's like the Magic Johnson of Japan. And that shook the place. And, and, and so they called back and they said, well, how's outreach going? I said, well, we just doubled the size of our church in weight. So... <laughs> But, you know, you start putting that word out. You walk with that expectancy, and God starts bringing those divine appointments to you. I expect divine appointments all the time. I go to Starbucks this morning, and there's a guy behind the counter, and the first thing that, that happens, I, I pay him a little compliment, and it opens the door wide to start preaching to him. And I put a mental note. I said I didn't lead him to the Lord at that time, but I'm going to go back, I'm going to find him again. That's consumer evangelism, going in strategically. The place I go get my haircut is, is not just because they do a good job and it's cheap. The place I go, there's an open door to witness to the son and the daughter. They're, they're, they're running the shop. And then, then by the time it's like Barney and Mayberry, it's one of those little old town barber shops. By the time you get done, the whole, the whole place maybe 10 people in there, all talking about the Lord. But you're using that opportunity to witness the gospel. But we've got to get out of ourselves and our convenience says preach the gospel in season and out. That means when it's convenient and when it's not. There's times it's not going to be convenient. It really wasn't convenient for me to go last night. But because I did go and I got with my former classmates, it was fruitful. But we've got to start operating like that where we're ready to, to, to share his word. But that causes us to dive deeper in the word, find out what we, how, what we are saved from. What are we saved to? Do we know who we're dealing with when we're evangelizing? You're dealing with dead people. You're dealing with spiritually blind people. The Bible says Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving that they might see and hear the truth. So don't be surprised if you're rejected here and there. Don't be surprised if they don't hear you at first. And that's why it brings us to a dependency on God. God's got to open their ears. Don't come and tell me I found God. God's not lost. We were. 
If you're dead in your sin, how far can a dead man take steps to the Lord? He can't. He's dead. Well, I, I made a decision. Sir. No, you didn't make a decision. God opened your heart and gave you grace and faith to respond to his conviction. You were dead. So you carry, that's why John the Baptist was saying, it's, it's, uh, Jesus commented on John, he who is least in the kingdom is, is greater than that of John. John had an announcement, the Messiah is here. But you and I have the ability to say, not only is he here, but he's alive, he's inside of me, and I'm introducing him to you. The Bible says we're to be fragrant aromas of Christ in a heavenly place and, and, and that we should have the scent of life on us. So many people that carry the scent of drama. <laughs> Don't you love it, especially with girls, the, the, the ones that are the biggest. No, let me finish. Let me finish. And while I was thinking of that, you know, Adam came to God and said, God, why would you make Eve so beautiful? Long, silky hair, voluptuous figure. Soft, smooth skin. He says, well, son, that's so you'd be attracted to her. And he said, well, why then did you make her so stupid? And he said, well, son, that's obvious. That's so she'd be attracted to you. <laughs> so. <laughs> but what I was going to say, some of the girls that are claiming they hate drama, they're the biggest drama queens of all. It just baffles me. Don't you just hate drama? Girls that bring drama. And you're like, yes. <laughs> and you is one, you know. <laughs> Kelly's saying, yeah, y'all help create the drama. Okay, Kelly. Kelly, you're something. I mean, when we're over in Paris, France, and, and, and I could see an engagement coming, and and when Kelly got down on her hands and knees and proposed to Sean, that was, that was a beautiful sight. <laughs> you heard the real story, didn't you? Sean takes her to the Eiffel Tower like three times just bluffing her. And she's waiting for the ring, waiting for the ring, waiting for the ring. And third time, it's like, you're like, oh, can you think of anything more beautiful than this night? And Kelly's thinking in her mind, yeah, you idiot, give me a ring. And... <laughs> And he goes, well, let's go. And, the, and, the, and so her heart sinks, and she starts walking to the elevator and just thoroughly depressed, thinking this is the last time we're going to the Eiffel Tower. And just she's like, where's Sean? Turns around, there he is on his knees proposing to her. Way to go, Sean. <laughs> Set her up. Sean had the ring the whole time we were in France, and she never found it. So that was pretty good. But anyhow... Where was I? About <laughs> being contagious. Okay, we, we, we've got to see that our lives, the, the meaning of our life, what we're going to take away when we go to heaven are the souls that we see saved. Jesus, when he reported back to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, he, he was giving him a report of his ministry, and he could have talked about, about, about the miracles, the healings, casting out devils. He could have talked about the, the free barbecues, free boat rides, ride out, walk back. You know, you could have done any of that. 
But Jesus didn't talk about any of that stuff. He said one thing. He said, Father, I found the ones you sent to me. More important than anything else, I found the ones you sent. That's how we should be in our lives. We should be constantly looking. Who's got that spark of life? Who is God drawing? Who does God want me to sow that seed with? And then depending on God to make their hearts come alive. I think about, about my friend Barry Hanley. I think I told you this before, but it, it was so, you know, it, 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 here he was in high school. He was a Christian. And as he's going on, he's, he, he felt the Lord tugging at his heart saying, listen, I want you to go to witness your best friend. And he forgot that weekend. And Lord said, I want you to witness to him. It's important to do it now. He neglected it again and, and failed to witness to him. Came back to school the following Monday and found out his friend had a swimming accident, accident died, drowned while he was swimming. He said he was just torn up inside. And that night he had a dream, and, and as he, he dreamed, he saw the judgment seat of Christ, and his, his friend before the judgment seat of Christ, ready to be condemned. And he said that friend turned around and just blood-curdling scream, why didn't you tell me? He said it cut him to the heart. He said, I never wanted to pass up another opportunity I had to, to speak that word of life into somebody we got to realize people are important to God. He wishes that none should perish, but all come to repentance. People count. And as we go through this life, we got to understand, get away from our drama, our issues, our problems, and say, listen, I'm here for a greater purpose. I know I've been sowing the seed and going places and, and, you know, literally been down to Sonora, Mexico. We had an incredible revival about a week ago. We're seeing 90% of the church stand up and give their lives to Jesus. And, and, and it's just coming alive. Nobody paid me to go down there. I went at my own expense. And I didn't have the money. But you know what? I come back and I walked through the streets yesterday and by our church in, uh, out in Anaheim Hills. And a woman comes up to me. They own a paving company. And she said, my husband and I, you've been on our hearts. You've been working so hard. We just want to give you this. Check for $250. God said, I'll cover you. Yeah, that happens all the time. I told you about going to Puerto Vallarta because I was doing the work of the Lord. Guess what? In the moment of the need, we had $800 need. A woman comes through the security and she says, can I talk to you on the other side? Writes a check for $1,000. God told me to give you this check. Well, I wish God would do that for me. <laughs> Start sharing the word. You get about God's business, he'll get about your business. Mark Twain said, it's not what I do know about the Bible that bothers me. It's what I don't know. Or excuse me, what I do know. It's not what I don't know that bothers me. It's what I do know. People as we walk through life, they know. Most of them have an indwelling inside. God's put it in them. Unless they've killed it and silenced it through their compromise they know in their hearts whether they're right with God or not. They're already convicted before you even talk to them. But if you start speaking that life and that hope, and that's one of the things I want to convey to you today is we're talking about relational evangelism, contagious Christianity. Start, if, if you don't do anything else between now and the next time I come back, you need to start sowing a seed of encouragement, 
a word of hope, look for people and opportunities to speak kindness, to serve them with, without any thoughts of getting anything back. Say that, look, my friendship's unconditional. A genuine compliment, not just complimenting them, buttering them up so you can preach to them, a genuine, sincere compliment will open the door. Start sowing those seeds of kindness. Start sowing those, those words of hope and destiny. Call destiny out in people's life and watch what starts to happen. Then just start asking them to come to church. One out of four people will come to church if you invite them. It's so easy. Use your personality. Use your, your, your character, your, 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 your things around you to be aware of, of, of those that you come in contact with that God may be setting you up for divine appointments. You might be the only Jesus some people sees. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, he doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everybody to repent. People matter to God. Mother Teresa said, your passion for souls is directly proportional to your love for God. You can't love God without loving people. Don't tell me you love Jesus, but you hate the church. It's impossible. The church is God's instrument to train, to equip, to stand with you. If you're looking for the perfect church, stop looking because once you join, it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> so we all know there's a great commission. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount where Jesus told them to go. And when he saw them, they, were, they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I command you. As surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I just got a phone call this morning, right before I came into church, from Jeff Bramstead. One of our Navy SEALs, we had 80 U.S. Navy SEALs give their lives to the Lord in a five-year period. Jeff's making a movie back in Atlanta right now, and, and we started talking, and, and, and as I started sharing with him what we were going to share on, he said, hey, Tommy, remember what we are talking about? We're God's occupational forces. And I remember as we started talking, I said, Jeff, tell me what occupational forces are. He said, the battle's already been won, the, tur the, the treaty has been signed, but then the occupational forces go in to see that the terms of the treaty are fully, you know, ex ex performed. And that's what we have here with Jesus where he says, all authority has been given to me. The battle's over. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. And on the cross, he won the battle of death, hell, and the grave. All power, all authority has been given back to him and it's transferred to us through a blood transfusion, through the cross of Jesus Christ. It says you can do all things through Christ Jesus. And you can speak in that authority if you know what you got. We talked in the men's meeting last two days about, about Bible commands men everywhere to repent. How many times have you heard an evangelist get up and say, I command you to repent in the name of Jesus? Not very often. We want to take this time to invite you to the altar. We want to invite you to, no. God commands. Because with a command you can obey or rebel, but you can never put it off. To put it off is total rebellion. And it puts them in a hot spot where it says, look, you got a choice to make. 
Get in or get out. Quit playing games. And every time a man walks away from God, his heart becomes a little more callous, a little harder. Men and women of this generation need to be commanded to repent because we have the authority. All authority on heaven and earth. Now go and make disciples. Go see the terms of the treaty. Our Bible are fully enforced. So that's why when you stand up in your civic groups or on your job or in your homes or in your neighborhoods and you start standing on the principles and patterns of God's word, you're making an impact. You're taking the kingdom. That's why it's not a light little thing when you're out in public and you pray for your food. You're making a public decoration. You're being a witness in the midst of, of darkness. People watch, they see that. And we've got timid Christians that are so ashamed and embarrassed, they can't even pray for their food publicly. And they're like, got that headache prayer. They don't really want people to know they're praying and just, oh Lord, it just, yeah, bless my food and energy. Amen. It's time to be bold. What do you really believe? If you really love Jesus, you can't help but speak up for the gospel. When you're in love with somebody, you want everybody to know. That's how we should be with Jesus. It says all of heaven rejoices over one sinner that saves. They're throwing down a party. Why shouldn't we? So this is just a motivation to get you on to relationally thinking and in, 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 in saying, I've got to do the work of an evangelist. Second Timothy 4, 5, Paul speaks to Timothy, but be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. You, every one of you have a vocation, a calling, a ministry, something God's put you on this earth to do. That's your ministry whether secular or vocational or, or religious, you have a ministry. As you, as you start doing the work of an evangelist, God will manifest your ministry and then he'll give you blessings that you can't even believe. But do the work of an evangelist. That's why God blesses so much. It says that a multitude of sin is covered through somebody that is wise and wins souls. It's amazing. God's favors to those that are, he's not looking for perfect people either. I mean, I look at my life, I'm not perfect. I know a lot of you believe that, but I'm not perfect. You know, and just, especially if you saw me on the freeway today. And uh, somebody's like, you got saved. How about your driving getting saved? And uh, I said, one step at a time. Do the work of an evangelist, God will fulfill your ministry. And, and, and this is the thing, it's amazing. You don't know how catchy it is. I remember I, I'd made a flyer that for the campuses that it was, they, they made me look like the Terminator and they called me the Tominator. And it said, it said who said this? You know, tr trust me. I, it said, um, I'll be back. And it said, Arnold Schwarzenegger, no. Winston Churchill, no. Jesus Christ, yes. And, and, and Jesus said, I'm coming back quickly. So they did a poster. It was the greatest shot. And, they, and I know why you girls use makeup, because that contour on my cheeks made me look real thin and just made me look good. <laughs> so I'm winning points today, huh? So I do this poster, and, and, and we do our outreach, and the guy, 
the, the printer that's doing it. We develop a little bit of a relationship. I start witnessing to them. I'm just hammering on them. And, and then so I get my posters. We do our outreach. I don't hear from this guy for a year. But I left him my card. I left him my number. After a year, he comes back. And he says, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. So his name was Dan Roseblade. I lead him to the Lord. He starts a ministry called COPE, C-O-P-E. Christ offers peace everlasting. And it was a hot t-shirt and it was spreading. And, and, and he came to me and we're driving around and, and he came up and he was one of those guys like a surfer guy. And, and, he, and he kept saying, what was the word he kept using? Dude. Dude, listen, dude, dude, you know, we, we're going to get these dudes saved, dude. And dude, and I said, I think you've been in the book of Deuteronomy. But, uh, <laughs> you know, and Dan said, there's this one guy, he's a Romanian. I believe that if he gets saved, his whole family's going to get saved. I said, well, cool. I said, go get him. And he said, no, Tom, you don't understand. He comes from a family of 13 children. So a week later, he comes back and said, hey, can you come meet with me? I led this guy named Serban to the Lord. So I get with him, and we lead Serban to the Lord. We get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He gets so on fire with God. He tells all of his brothers and sisters, 11 out of the 13 got saved, join our Bible study. All of a sudden, they start witnessing to their friends, and I'm preaching, I got a Bible study with 250 people from these 13 guys, which came from the one. Start from one flyer. You never know what seed is going to be the, the linchpin that's going to just bring them in by a harvest. I had one musician get saved at USC, and the next thing I knew, we had a whole orchestra. I got one guy, he's one of the top violinists in the world. He's the conductor for the Israeli Philharmonic. I mean, just incredible. Just one person saved in contagious Christianity. It spreads quickly. We need to get to that point in our life. And it starts by building relationships. And the problem is, so many Christians, what do they do? They come join the church and they lose all their worldly friends. That's one of the reasons I went last night. I wanted to get around some worldly friends. I said, I need some fresh meat. <laughs> some new, new perspective converts. Problem is, some of you, I, I can't think of one person I know that's not saved. There's a problem there. You're speaking Christianese. I challenge you to have a normal relationship without naming the name of Jesus or God or something religious with your friends. We go into our assemblies all the time. Guess what I do? Assembly called Dream Makers, Dream Breakers. That assembly is entirely Christian, but I don't need, need to name the name Jesus or give one Christian principle because it gets us in behind enemy lines in public schools. And then as a result, then we start seeing people saved. Some of you need to go make some worldly friends. Some of you need to get involved in community, maybe a sports team, maybe a, a civic center. But you need to get involved where your life's going to, maybe it's a community association, but get around where you can sow and serve and be around some good unsaved people. Let your light shine. Contagious Christianity. Something's transmitted from one person to another, either by direct contact with that person or by indirect contact 
like come in contact with their clothes, something, but there's a direct contact and it's catching. Your life should be that fragrant aroma of second Corinthians says this, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those that are being saved and those that are perishing. One an aroma of death to death, the other aroma of life to life. You, you need to convict the sinner and you need to bless the, the children of God. But, but you should carry that fragrance of the Lord around you all the time. So, again, the strategy by building relationships, contagious Christianity is the process of pouring your life, which flows from Jesus Christ, into somebody that's spiritually dead. It's like giving them a jump start. That's how people should be when they're around you. The strategy, again, win them to you, lead them to Jesus. Amen. When I complimented that guy at Starbucks today, you think I was just doing a random compliment? I was being sincere. But I was setting him up with a sincere compliment, win him to you, lead him to Jesus. Okay, contagious Christianity does not try to fit you into a mold. It's not about being, becoming something that you're not or you don't want to be. Rather, it's about how God can use our own unique personalities and skills to be a witness for him. There's six styles of evangelism or a combination of these six. Most of us have a combination. And again, God doesn't wait for perfect people. And we'll go into these the next time. But the six different styles are confrontational, intellectual, testimonial, interpersonal, invitational, serving. Those are the six styles of evangelism that are out there. Your personality fits in one of these molds. One of mine is interpersonal, and, 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 and that's kind of like, I love that one because it's party with a purpose. It's where Jesus met the tax gatherer, Matthew, and, and he said, come on, let's have a dinner. That was a party with a purpose. My guys knew when I was doing evangelism on campuses when I said, let's barbecue. It wasn't because I was hungry. <laughs> because I was good at barbecue. That's number one. <laughs> at USC, they made me an honorary black man because of my barbecue. <laughs> it's good. But you know what? We had so many people. I have, I have a big barbecue, and, and I got a guy, that same guy, Danelle Sparks, former hitman and mafia, and just, I mean, incredible. Just a, a ruthless killer, and he's sitting on my couch, and we're cooking our food, and I look over, nobody's even talking to him. House full of people, he's sitting on my couch crying. It's like, what's going on? He said, I've never felt this kind of love. Just the love of Christ penetrated his heart, even when we didn't say a word. That's interpersonal. Serving, that's Mother Teresa. Not looking to get anything, but as she serves, guess what? The testimony's going out. I think a confrontational. Does anybody know any confrontational kind of people? That may be me. No. <laughs> but it's because that's how I got saved. I'm sitting in the last seat, the last row. The evangelist is preaching, and he shares the scripture of Acts chapter 2, where Peter preached and said they were pierced through the heart. And I thought, how come my heart's never felt pierced? And all of a sudden, wham. And then all of a sudden, he said, every head bowed, every eye closed. And he walks right up to me in the back row. I feel this presence. And he's like this close to me. He's like, you need to get right with God. 
you think that's confrontation? Does that feel awkward? <laughs> and I'm just like, Phew. I needed that. That's one of the gifts on my life, to offend people. <laughs> I'm an equal opportunity offender. So we'll go into some of these styles and you'll find out which one you is you, that you are. We'll pass those out next time. This one, what I want to do, do we have those cards? We got some hit cards. And what I want you to do, your assignment for the next two weeks while I get back, is I want you to and think about this, pray about this, is these are passed out. These are little hit cards. You can slip them in your Bible. I want you to write down your top five people that you're going to approach with the gospel, that you're going to be a witness to. Okay, and pray about it, and please do this for me. Don't say Uncle Joe on the East Coast, because Uncle Joe on the East Coast isn't <laughs> going to come to the church. We want a, a immediate measurement and effectiveness. Have it with people that you are in everyday occurrences with, and this is what you can do. Make a list of people you know, or that you used to know. God may trigger some people from the past, like he did for me yesterday. People you know, or used to know, or would like to know. I'm in the, in the Buena Park Mall, I'm at Choo Choo's Cafe, and, and we're sitting there, Danelle and I and my son, and, and, and this restaurant manager keeps coming over to us. He looked like the guy from Lord of the Rings with the big beard, the huge, you know, he did. He looked identical, and, and I kept thinking, why does he keep coming over here? I was a little slow this morning, you know, and just, and it's like, oh, he wants to be witness to, you know? And, and sure enough, he kept coming. Something attracted him to my son and myself and Danelle. And we turned around, and here's the owner of Choo Choo's Cafe, gives his life to Jesus Christ, radically changed. So make the list of people you'd want to know. And then pray. You need to pray and say, God, who do you want me to reach? Not who you want to reach, but have God fill in those five names. Then listen to God and do what he tells you to do. Maybe he says, bring him to lunch. Bring him to dinner. Have him come over to your house. Meet at Starbucks. Bring him to church. But just do what he's asking you to do. Okay, but get that strategy down. And bring those cards back this next week. In, in, in two weeks it should be. And, and, and we'll go over there what type of style of evangelism that you have. Okay. And then, then also what you want to do is you start meeting with these people. Maybe it's just offering to pray for the meal. Ask them if they go to church. Maybe share a testimony of a blessing with them. But start speaking and mentioning spiritual things early in your conversation. Somebody said, well, you just don't pop in on somebody and start talking about the Lord, do you? Why not? I do it all the time. And then share the story how Jesus impacted your life. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship the Lord as your God, and if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. Be ready to share your testimony. Tell them what God's done in your life. And you don't need to be a preacher and be so articulate. Just share simple things, what God's done in your life. And because you give them the time of day, you show interest in them. Guess what? They're much more likely to reciprocate and they'll show you interest when you're sharing. They want to hear. After you show you're interested in them, they want to know about you. So dare to step out, dare to share, and dare to believe God for, for open doors and divine appointments. Can we do that this week? Amen. Next two weeks, I'm going to be back. I'll be back.
<laughs> so let's pray. And if you do get like Rosie and, and get somebody saved, celebrate their conversion. That's why I like what pastor does. He leads somebody to the Lord and the next thing they're up in front of the church preaching. You know, it just, that seals and puts the faith down them even deeper and, and celebrating, seeing people excited about what you've done. If all of heaven's rejoicing, I'm, I'm sure we can. So you ready to go? No fear. You just get out there and start swinging. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you. You said in 2 Corinthians that if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away and all things have become new. Father, you said it's so simple. It's not by works that we're saved, but if we believe in our hearts that we shall be saved, that we shall not be dis disappointed. Father, in the name of Jesus, we carry the hope of that life in that light. Now, Father, we go out in the midst of that darkness and we say prepare our hearts for the divine appointments, for open doors of opportunities. And I ask that you would give each of us sensitive ears to listen, to be relatable, to find points of agreement and interest that are entrances for the gospel. Let us listen that we could be wise disseminating your wisdom, your plan of salvation. Father, you said if we lift you up, you'll draw all men unto you. The battle's been won. The victory is ours. The terms are set. And you said this gospel shall be preached as a witness to this entire world. Father, use us in our spheres of influence. We just, right now, just, just say this to the Lord in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Say, Jesus, I give you my sphere of influence. I give you everything that I do that you would bring me divine appointments. Give me eyes to see ears to hear and you said you would open my mouth and in that right season put the words in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.